So Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. And now jump over to chapter 8, Red Bibles, page 971. And we'll read verses 1 to 6 of chapter 8. Now, the main point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, and so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator, is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. Come with me over to chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Ah, Well, let's pray for God's help as we tackle Hebrews together tonight. Father God, we are thankful that you have spoken to us in your Son. Please help us tonight to listen to him that we might know him better uh, through this book. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Now, we are trying to tackle all of Hebrews, so it would be great to have your Bible open. We're going to flick around, uh, but we're just going to stick in Hebrews. So, just turning a few pages back and forth. Uh, I want to start by telling you a story about a friend of mine. Um, He was just starting out at uni, coming into first year, and he had to move cities to to come here to UWA. And so 
it was his first time moving out of home, uh, first time away from his family, kind of away from his, his parents, kind of being in charge of him. And uh, as he puts it, he decided uh, that coming up to uni would be his time to make a graceful exit from Christianity. Uh, without kind of, you know, having to awkwardly stop coming to church or to have a, a, a tough conversation with his parents, he just thought, I'll, I'll, I'll start uh, at UWA and I, I just kind of, I'll just let that kind of part of me slide. It wasn't kind of what he wanted for his experience of uni. He kind of wanted to be, to be free and, and do all manner of other things. And so he was going to make his graceful exit. He figured that Christianity was just a bit too old-fashioned and not what he wanted. And he was ready to give it up. But he didn't. Something happened. Uh, And in fact, this uh, is turning into a bit of a CU plug. Uh, He got involved in the Christian Union at UWA. And he met Jesus. He met Jesus. The Jesus of the Bible. And he found Jesus to be bigger than he expected. More amazing than he had ever known. And really, that is the message of Hebrews. That is the message of Hebrews. Hold on, because Jesus is better. Hold on, because Jesus is better. If you read through Hebrews, over and over, you get that message. Jesus is better. He brings a better hope, a better covenant, a better sacrifice, a better word. And so his people have better possessions, a better country, a better resurrection. Over and over, Jesus is better. Better than anything you thought. Better than everything that came before. And that's what uh, my friend uh, needed to find out. And it was also the thing that the uh, people who first read Hebrews needed to hear. Because in Hebrews we have a problem and a solution. A problem and a solution. Here's the problem. They were in danger of drifting away. In danger of drifting away. If you've got your Bible there, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, here's what it says. We must pay the the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. See, they had started out well in the Christian life, uh, but it seems like, you know, piecing it together from what you hear through the book, they hadn't really grown, they hadn't gone on to maturity, and so now they're in danger of just drifting off. Kind of like, you know, you know that experience, you go to the beach and you get in the water and think, oh, this is great, and kind of, you don't notice, but you look back and your towel's all the way down there, and you weren't paying attention, but The current has just taken you and you've drifted off. And that's what's happened here. Uh, They've stopped paying attention and they aren't working against the current like they used to. Because they did used to be in the fight. Uh, Again, flick over. Let's go to chapter 10, verse 32. You get these little bits of information about the, the people who were first reading this book. And here's what it says, Remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. See, at the start they'd faced real persecution. 
They'd had possessions confiscated. They'd been thrown in prison. But they had endured. And they'd done it with joy. But that initial fire had died down. And now it seems they're in danger of giving up. See, uh, what would you rather? Uh, Would you rather take a punch to the face once or have to carry a backpack full of loose rocks around for the rest of your life? It seems like their persecution had gone from sudden impact to hard slog. And I wonder if that's not a bit more like us. That is, like, I've never had to take a punch in the face for Jesus, uh, but it's hard being a Christian at school if you feel like you're in the minority, or at uni where people kind of make comments about how stupid it is to believe in God. It's just like a few extra rocks in the backpack, and it's hard. And the risk is that we'll just drift off, drift off towards something easier. And Hebrews wants to speak to that. The problem is drift. So what's the solution? What is the solution? The thing that'll solve this problem, the thing that they need the most is a sermon. You guys thought I was going to say Jesus. No, (laughs) on this occasion they need a sermon. Uh, Turn with me to Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, verse 22. Brothers and sisters, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation, for in fact I've written to you quite briefly. Uh, That expression, word of exhortation, uh, the only other place it occurs uh, is in Acts, where Peter is asked to get up and, and give a speech after the Old Testament is read. And that's what this is. It's a word of exhortation. It's sent kind of as a letter, but it's not actually a letter. We don't uh, find anything about who it's sent to or who it's uh, from. We're not given any of those names. Um, it's not actually the letter to the Hebrews. There's, you know, it's just people just started calling it Hebrews because it's got so much Jewish stuff in it. But it's not like it's sent to a place called Hebrew. Uh, it's not a letter. It's a sermon, uh, which tells us some really important things about what to expect when we read through Hebrews. Uh, so, firstly. It's a sermon about Jesus. It's a sermon about Jesus. The whole of Hebrews is about extolling Jesus. A sermon without Jesus is like a bike without a chain. I mean, technically you can still pedal, but what's the point, right? And the problem is that they're drifting. They're drifting. And so even though I told you the solution was a sermon, it's really not. The solution is Jesus. It actually is. But it is a sermon about Jesus. Jesus. And it tells us about Jesus by unpacking Scripture, by unpacking Scripture. So there's heaps of Old Testament in Hebrews. It takes stuff from Psalms and Exodus and Jeremiah and explains how all these things connect to Jesus. But also, like a good sermon, uh, the goal is to apply it, to apply it. And so it's full of these warnings and encouragements all the time, uh, kind of There's a bit of Old Testament, a bit of Scripture gets unpacked and then they apply it. Therefore, let us do this. Let us do that. 
Uh, very famously, in the history of Uni Church, uh, Chris Roberts was once um, preaching on Hebrews and uh, he brought in a bunch of lettuces and kind of arranged them on the desk down at the lecture theatre um, because there's so many lettuce phrases in the, in the book. Yeah, for real, lettuces everywhere. Uh, Hebrews is scripture applied. Scripture applied. So there's always telling you what to do as a result. And finally, because it's a sermon, it's kind of hard to follow. Um, It does have this really kind of unusual structure. We're just not familiar with it. And as you read through, it feels like it's all over the shop, right? It goes from this bit of the Bible into uh, kind of a warning, and then it goes across to talking about priests, and, and then there's an encouragement, and then Melchizedek dives in, and you're like, oh, I'm not, it's like comes at you thick and fast. It doesn't have the same structure as other books in the Bible. Uh, it doesn't have the same structure as a letter. It kind of uses these hooks and phrases, and it repeats itself and swings back around to old ideas. And so I think you have to kind of read it in terms of big movements, big movements, because it's, it's a talk, it's a sermon. Uh, so here's my take on the three big movements of Hebrews. Um, chapters 1 to 4, the better speaker. Chapters 5 to 10, the better mediator. And chapters 11 to 13, all the more reason to hold on. Now, Uh, If this feels like a bit too much to take in all at once, look, you're probably right, Um, but this is our intensive, this is us kind of trying to fly over, get as much of a a kind of broad view of Hebrews as we can. So, three movements, a better speaker, a better mediator, and then all the more reason to hold on. So firstly, uh, the first movement in this book, the better speaker. Uh, Joe read it for us, it's right there in the first verse, chapter 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors. See that? In the past, God spoke. Spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Hebrews is obsessed with God speaking. It's there at the start. And now, I'm going to make you flick again. Flick to the end. I'm going to go back and forth. So it's there, first verse. Uh, He's spoken to us by his son, and then chapter 12, verse 25. Where does it end up? See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. God is a God who speaks. Before he spoke through the prophets, but now he speaks perfectly through Jesus. This is crystal clear fiber optics communication right here because he's the son, because of who he is. And that's why you get this whole section at the start there, if you've ever read through it, there's kind of the first chapter is all about angels, and you're like, what is going on? There's angels all through here? But angel means messenger. And Jewish people believe that the law was delivered through angels. And, and so that was the law that they, they had to respond to. But now a better speaker is here. And so how much more? do they need to respond to Jesus? And so if God has spoken in Jesus, the response is to listen. The response is 
to listen. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we don't drift away. Over and over, Hebrews tells us, you've got to listen. Just got to listen. Pay attention. I only fell asleep in a lecture once in my whole engineering degree. And I, I felt like that was quite an achievement, given the subjects I had to take. Um, of course, on that occasion, the lecturer kind of stopped talking, and he walked right up to me and kind of like stood there and staring at me until I kind of came to. And... Then he kicked me out. Uh, where was I going with this story? Um, <coughs> you have to pay attention. That's what Hebrews wants to say. We have a better speaker. Jesus, the perfect son with a better word of salvation. He has spoken. And uh, like any good preacher, you have to give an example. And so uh, the writer says, well, look back at Moses. And so in chapters 3 and 4, he takes Psalm 95 this time and he says, look, uh, God spoke through Moses in the wilderness, but the people didn't listen. And so he quotes this psalm uh, there in chapter 3, verse 7, and he says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts. God uh, spoke to his people through Moses about entering into the promised land, but the people didn't listen. But now Jesus has spoken about something better, a better land, better promises, a better inheritance. And so the same thing still applies today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Don't be like my mate who came up to uni uh, looking to harden his heart, looking for ways not to listen. Hebrews wants us to listen. So how is your listening going? Uh, when you hear something in the Bible that's challenging, uh, something that, that calls you to, to change what you want and to follow Jesus, do you listen? Or do you say, no, I won't do that. Uh, I, can't, I can't believe that. How is your listening going? Hebrews wants to tell us that God has sent a better speaker, so we must listen. That's the first movement, that, that first section of the book. The second movement is a better mediator, a better mediator. Uh, we read it there in that section from chapter 8, chapter 8, verse 6. Um, actually, I think I'm reading you a different section. You can just listen. I don't know where this is from. Uh, for, for this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. Hebrews is obsessed with the covenant. Obsessed with the covenant. Uh, chapter 8 there uh, has the longest Old Testament quotation in the whole New Testament. Kind of half a chapter uh, just quoting Jeremiah. And it's all about the new covenant promised by Jeremiah. And Jesus is the better mediator of a better covenant. Now, this is where it gets hard because we don't use words like mediator and covenant in everyday life. And so I'm saying all these words and you're like, Jeff, that just sounds like religious jargon. I don't understand what that means. 
Uh, what does it mean? Well, very conveniently, a bunch of us witnessed a covenant just yesterday. We had a uni church wedding. Jared and Kate got married. It was wonderful. And that's what a covenant is. A covenant is a promise that creates a relationship. A promise that creates a relationship. And so when Jared and Kate said their vows, they made promises to each other. And they formed a new bond as husband and wife. They created a covenant. And it's like that. God makes promises to his people and he establishes a relationship with them. And it turns out that God has always been on about covenants. He's always been wanting a relationship with the people that he's made. But sin always gets in the way. See, sin is a covenant killer. In the same way that unfaithfulness uh, ruins a marriage covenant. Sin is like that. Sin is just unfaithfulness to God. And so God's covenants in the Old Testament all have to deal with this sin problem. And so they always had to have a mediator, someone to stand between God and the people, to offer sacrifices for sin, to make it possible for, for that relationship to stick together, right? And so in the Old Testament, that was the priests. They were the mediators. And the whole priestly system was, was there to kind of try and make that covenant possible by making sacrifices and, and making cleansing for sin. But Hebrews says, Jesus is better. He's a better mediator. The better mediator of a better covenant. The old one didn't work. Jesus has come and established something that can't be broken. Uh, and that's why uh, when you read through Hebrews, you find this big section right in the middle there that's all about kind of priests and the priesthood and, and the temple and sacrifices and Melchizedek and all this kind of stuff. Because it's all uh, dealing with this question of covenant. How does Jesus establish that connection, that covenant between God and people? He's the better mediator, the better priest, who makes a better sacrifice to join us to God. And so if that's true, if God has bonded us together in Jesus, then the response is to draw near. To draw near. That's what Hebrews wants you to do. To draw near. Uh, have a look at chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse 19. Here's another one of these application points in, in the book of Hebrews. Chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and the full assurance that faith brings. Because we have a better mediator, we can draw near to God. So do you feel close to God? We don't always feel it, do we? 
But the message of Hebrews is that we have a better mediator, one who has done everything we need to approach God with confidence. And so Hebrews wants us to embrace that, to draw near, so that there, like there's, there's nothing standing in our way, no sin that would block us from approaching God's throne. I wonder if you've ever seen this photo. That's uh, quite a cute one. Uh, uh, the man at the desk is JFK um, when he was president, and uh, that's his son, John F. Kennedy Jr., just playing under the resolute desk in the Oval Office. Uh, JFK is the most powerful man in the world at the time, and his son is free to draw near. And that's what it's like with God for us because we have a better mediator, one who has established a better covenant for us. So Jesus is a better speaker and so we need to listen to him. He's a better mediator and so we draw near to God. But the final movement of Hebrews is really about us. Uh, It gives us all the more reason to hold on. We have all the more reason to hold on because of Jesus. Uh, Have a look at the very next verse there in chapter 10 from that section we read. What does it say next in verse 23? Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. If all that is true about Jesus, let's hold on. Or flick over to chapter 12. Chapter 11 is like this huge list of of people of faith who who held on uh, to what was promised. And then chapter 12, verse 1, here's the application. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. See, the problem is that they were going to drift at risk of just drifting off. And so Hebrews says, you've got to persevere. Keep on trusting Jesus to show that same faith, even in the face of suffering, even when it's hard, even when there's a dozen more rocks thrown in the backpack. Uh, This guy is a guy by the name of Dean Carnazes. He is uh, probably the world's most famous ultra-marathon runner. Now, an ultra-marathon is uh, any foot race that's longer than a marathon, so anything over 42 kilometres. But that's just the start, right? They're crazy. Uh, There is the Trans-Europe foot race, which goes for 64 days and covers 4,500 kilometres. Or, if you prefer your races non-stop, uh, Dean Carnese's once ran 560 kilometres in 80 hours and 44 minutes without sleep. I'll just I give you a minute just, uh, just to let that sink in, here, running from here to Albany without stopping. Isn't that crazy? And a reporter once asked him, how do you do it? How do you do it? Here's what he said. If you can't run, then walk. And if you can't walk, then crawl. Just keep moving forward and never, ever 
give up. And that's what Hebrews says. Never, ever give up. Here's some of the things that it says. Don't grow weary. Don't lose heart. Don't drift away. Don't fall away. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Run the race. Keep on going. So here's one way to apply that uh, for the year ahead, especially if you're in a hub group. One way that you can keep going, don't give up meeting together. That's one of the explicit uh, instructions of Hebrews, don't give up meeting together. Because that's how we keep uh, on helping each other to run the race. We need each other to keep going. COVID is going to make things hard this year. You just know that it is. And uni assignments are going to hit and working from home is going to be slow and difficult and annoying. But don't give up making Hub a priority to keep on digging into Hebrews, to keep on holding on to Jesus. Don't give up coming on Sundays to keep encouraging your brothers and sisters not to drift away, but to hold on. Why? Because we have all the more reason to hold on. Jesus is a better speaker. He speaks better promises about a better salvation. And he's a better mediator. He's established a better covenant, an eternal bond between us and the God who made us. So it's not just that we should hold on. We should actually hold on all the more, all the more reason to hold on because Jesus is better.